0: They're going to sell TikTok and keep the algorithm. And that's going to be a weird thing if that happens.
1: Yeah, that is like have the brand.
0: I know, but I bet you somebody still buys it. Like that's the insane thing. I think somebody will still buy it and it'll be useless. It might have been useless anyway, but it'll be especially useless. <laughs>
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor Nine. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and this week's episode was recorded on Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020. Before we start today's show, just want to give a quick reminder to everyone to go and fill out that Floor Nine listener survey. Uh, if, if you have five minutes, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, as this really helps us understand who you are, what you like about the show, and overall uh, helps us improve the, the quality of the show that we have here. Uh, so thank you to everyone that has already filled out the survey. Uh, and, and if you haven't yet, you still have time. So please definitely go do that. And as a reminder, when you fill out this year's listener survey, you'll be automatically entered to win one of the 10 subscriptions that we are giving away to the Brain FM service. Uh, I'm a big fan of Brain FM. Like I said previously, I use them all the time to help me focus during the day uh, and get some work done. But if you're not familiar with Brain FM, uh, they make functional music that helps you do what you need to do, but better, whether that is having some trouble sleeping, focusing, relaxing, or even meditating, uh, their music is backed by research and they employ a team of scientists and composers to engineer music that is specifically designed uh, to enhance these states within minutes of use. Uh, so for me, it's been super helpful, especially during this time of quarantine. So uh, thank you again to Brain.fm for sponsoring this year's listener survey. Uh, and Adam, let's just get right into the news. Uh, what what has been happening this week? It seems like first up, TikTok is back in the news cycle. And they, they I don't know, they might be driving our news cycle for the foreseeable future. Um, but aside from the acquisition that may or may not be going on, um, what has TikTok recently partnered with uh, to help kind of increase the monetization with their uh, influencers on the platform?
0: Yeah, I think while the, the potential sale is happening, I think TikTok is... Charging ahead on features that are are designed for monetization to sort of show the power of their mm-hmm. of their platform, which I think is smart. Um, and so what they're doing is uh, they, they just announced that they're partnering with Teespring, um, which uh, is going to allow creators on TikTok um, to uh, design merchandise on Teespring and push it directly into into TikTok to demonstrate some of the uh, social commerce features that they've been rolling out on the platform. Um, so this is a nice, really mm-hmm. organic way for creators. To start uh, generating, you know, some amount of revenue off of their off of their content on TikTok, um, outside of you know brand partnerships and stuff like that, but by monetizing directly right. selling to their fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is something that we're going to continue to see because uh, recently, uh, not a social platform, but Shopify actually uh, announced a partnership with an influencer platform, Dubtail, to allow the businesses to more easily connect with. Influencers to sell their products, so it it seems like there's a two way street, right? It seems like you know TikTok is trying to help monetize their creators in in any way they can, and then Shopify is building integrations with influencers to help them sell their products and monetize. And so I think this is something that we're just going to like continue to see, right? New ways to monetize and really interesting collaborations between different companies uh, as we see an ever growing interest in you know buying things on a mobile device and especially on social platforms where we know people are spending their time. So um i think it's pretty exciting uh and and as a person that has tried to make t-shirts before uh this seems like a pretty great integration because it's harder than you think
0: yeah Teespring is a, a sort of a, a turnkey platform for uh, creating things uh, like, uh, you know, podcast promotional T-shirts, which is <laughs> where most yeah. of my uh, Teespring transactions have come from.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Maybe we'll make some floor nine ones. Uh, listeners, let us know. Go fill out that survey and put it in the comments if if, if you want merch. Um, but moving on, uh, Movies Anywhere has officially launched its digital movie lending feature, Screen Pass. So Adam, for those that don't know, what is Movies Anywhere uh, and what is this new feature?
0: Yeah, um, so Movies Anywhere is a platform that was originated by disney but now also includes universal sony and warner brothers uh so you know all the major studios and it lets you basically authenticate a digital purchase into the movies anywhere platform and then access it on other other devices and other other viewing platforms so if i bought a movie on iTunes, I can also use movies anywhere to access that movie on an Amazon Fire TV device. Um, So, you know, that's Mm -hmm. kind of like a cool thing, a nice thing that the studios are doing that sort of makes digital purchases work a little bit more like uh, physical purchases like DVDs and Blu-rays used to. And I think that this screen pass feature is... Basically the next step in that in that obviously back in the day if you had a DVD you could lend it to a friend uh, and this is trying to replicate that functionality inside of movies anywhere so if you buy a movies if you buy a movie that is part of the movies anywhere program, I can uh if I buy a movie I can lend it to you and it functions pretty much exactly the same as a rental from uh any of these platforms uh and you can you can watch it on your uh you know your Apple TV your Fire TV stick your Roku any basically anybody that's participating in the movies anywhere program mm-hmm. um and you have you know 3 you I think you have 72 hours to watch it and uh you know it, so it functions pretty much as if you had paid for that rental but of course it's actually free for you Um, so your,
1: your, your friend or family is just going to be lending it to you through like a text message, exactly. exactly. which I think is just fascinating. Like that space of giving access through messaging is just really interesting. Like we know with Apple, right? They, uh, can now share keys between BMW owners, which I thought was super interesting. Right. So that way you can like walk up to a car and get texted the key pass to turn the car on. Now we're sharing movie rentals. And so I'm, I'm very interested in how, and in which ways we're going to start to see more access um, through messaging develop, I think is, you know, just a very, you know, underutilized uh, part of the smartphone we have today.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, one, one key here is that this might be a, uh, a, a an important step in co-viewing of uh, video content uh, Mm -hmm. because if I own a movie and you don't but we want to watch it together uh, remotely in these uh, socially distant times uh, this would be a really easy way for me to lend that to you and then we can we can watch that movie together Um, and I think that is one of the missing pieces for for co-viewing that that often trips people up is having the same access to the same content.
1: Right, uh, and why you say watch together, I think that that is actually the name of their co-viewing product yep. uh, for, for Movies Anywhere. So I do wanna just mention that you know this co-viewing thing isn't just siloed in the movie space, right? We now see Twitch has announced that their uh, Prime Video watch parties are now available to everyone. So uh, that is Twitch's solution to co-viewing, allowing a broadcaster to actually uh, host some content. Uh, specifically, it'll be Amazon Prime Video content uh, and then you, as a viewer, can tune in and, and watch with them.
0: I mean, this is what everyone was waiting for since they since Amazon bought Twitch uh, many years ago. This was sort yeah. of the natural <laughs> a natural integration point, and it's uh, it's finally here.
1: So that's going to wrap up uh, this week's news, uh, and I'm excited to bring us into the next part of this week's episode. Uh, We have Ariel Garcia, UM's Chief Privacy Officer, joining myself and Adam for a conversation on data privacy uh, as a business imperative. Um, So with that, Ariel, welcome to Floor (laughs) 9.
2: Thank you so much for having me
1: no, we're we're super excited to have you. So I have to ask, uh, how does it feel to be UM's first chief privacy officer? Uh, and what exactly does that mean?
2: <laughs> so so it feels wonderful. You know, it's really uh, an expansion of of some of the work that that I'd been doing for some of our clients already in really mm-hmm. helping lead the charge around these new and emerging areas. So, you know, uh, in in my role previously, I was working on compliance type issues. And as privacy became a hot topic in the space, uh, naturally that expanded. And at the core of this for us is really protecting our clients and their brands by making sure that Mm -hmm. we and they are up to speed and working with our partners to help facilitate that for our clients.
1: Making sure they're up to speed on what specifically, and I think this is going to be a great conversation today, Uh, is it talking about... Just how data is collected? Is it about, you know, how they as a brand are leveraging data for uh, their advertising? Is it all of the above?
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's definitely all of the above. Uh, You know, I think traditionally privacy has been seen as more of a legal topic. And that is why, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I always talk about privacy as a business imperative because it's not enough to just know the laws. You know, the, the regulatory right. landscape, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more, is rapidly evolving um, and deconstructing that into what it means for your business and how you as a brand are collecting and using your consumers personal information, um, is super important and, and threading that together so that you can understand strategies to mitigate disruption, to bolster consumer trust, which is becoming increasingly important, especially in today's environment. Um, bringing that all together is, is what is at the core of this. And that's why I talk about this as being a business imperative. Mm-hmm. Um, a future proof data and media strategy really has to have privacy at, at its core.
1: Absolutely. Um, so Adam, Ariel, shall we just start at the beginning here and really like, let's focus on the evolution of privacy. So, uh, I think in the past few years here, the two big pieces of legislation that we have seen come to play are GDPR and the CCPA. Uh, and it seems like that was the that was the beginning, uh, and now as we look to, you know, having the, the big five in front of Congress, uh, it's become like a mainstream conversation. It's no longer, to your point, just knowing about the laws and uh, in, like, the back corner of different offices and in brand departments, it's now... You have to understand this because this is a mainstream conversation. So why don't we just start there and kind of understand and level set this regulatory landscape, both uh, domestically and internationally?
2: Sure. So uh, you're exactly right. Uh, GDPR kind of kicked off or or was symbolic in terms of this shift in privacy becoming uh, a a core issue and a topic for everyday discussion. And uh, a couple of things led to that. And and so if we take just a step back before we get to GDPR, it's important to understand kind of the context that that happened in. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, um, you know, it's no surprise that data and technology, uh, the pace of innovation in that space is a lot quicker than the pace of of lawmaking and regulation. (laughs) (laughs) So,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) So if you think about it from that perspective, um, it became evident based on consumer perception and some of the things, if you remember, some of what was happening at the time was uh, Cambridge Analytica and, you know, the the potential impact that uh, data misuse could have on democracy. Right. So if you think about it in that context, obviously GDPR was uh, being formed before then but it came into effect just as that was playing out and so that's what brought this really into the mainstream. Um, Ultimately you know these laws are are really codifying consumers uh, expectations around how their data is used Um, so you know one of the questions that I've seen a lot is you know how much do consumers really care about this they're willing to give data in some contexts but then we're hearing all these headlines about privacy how much should we care and the answer is consumers want both they they want that personalized <laughs> experience they want to be able to choose who they're getting that from and who they're giving data to. And and if they want to say, hey, stop using it, they want the ability to do that. So um, none of of the laws, including GDPR, are about stopping the use of data. It's about ingraining that sense of accountability um, and making businesses Mm -hmm. more accountable for the way they're using data. And to that same point, uh, CCPA which came into effect um, January of this year and recently started uh, to be enforced in, in July, um, is very similar, but it focuses on things from a different lens. Uh, it's more about uh, the the, sa- the selling or the sale of that personal data and giving people the ability to, to opt out of that disclosure of their data uh, to third parties that they don't want to share it with. Um, you know, mm-hmm. They want to be able to say, hey, I trust this brand. I'm going to give you my data. I, I know you're going to use it to give me a better experience. I'm fine with you using it to market to me, but I also want to know if you're going to send it to others, right? So it's more about that accountability um, element and and making sure that, that brands are using data in a responsible way.
1: That's an interesting... I would say kind of distinction right there is that in a sense that we want both. And I think a lot of the times, like one, like the biggest issues is that people just don't know it is being collected or sold, right? Like a lot of the times people unknowingly agree to these terms and conditions, um, that include how data is collected and transferred. Uh, and essentially these big legal documents that are anywhere from 5,000 to 14,000 words in length. And I can tell you take a very long time to read, um, include the data privacy policy in which you know is another 5,000 plus words on how your data is actually used or mismanaged uh and like i think there's something right there too where it's just like essentially no matter what you want to use from a product perspective you have to assign you have to agree to this terms of service essentially Uh, and a lot of people just don't read those and go ahead and say, Hey, here's my data. Cause I want to use that product and service. So there's like a core functionality of how people get access to, I think products, uh, that needs to change, um, for them to be, a, to, to, I guess, to be more aware, uh, into how things are collected.
2: I think that's a great point. I, I've always been a, a huge proponent for educating consumers. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that, that awareness is empowerment for them. So in a lot of right. cases, It's more about being transparent and giving that notice in a way that someone can understand it. And to your point, without reading uh, dozens of pages of legalese every time they download a new app, I mean, it's it's untenable. So simplifying Mm -hmm. that ability for consumers to express their preferences is central to this conversation and uh, central to, to how our brand should be thinking about this, right? Overall, there needs to be a move to to educate consumers. And platforms with huge reach are doing more of that. They're they're providing that education on how they're using data. And I think it's more about making sure that consumer awareness is growing. And it is, studies are showing that consumers are are becoming more aware. And an interesting thing that's happening as a result is trends in where they're willing to share data and with who and for what purpose are emerging. So for example, they're willing to share data more uh, if it's not their financial data, for example. They may they may want to share that data only with the brand, but less, less willing to share it with third parties. So there, there are trends emerging there. By and large, the major trend is really that consumers are... Uh, they, they want to be able to have choice over the disclosure of their data to third parties. And again, that's one of the major things that CCPA is focused on uh, accomplishing for, for them. In the other context, you know, they'll share data. They want a value exchange. They want to know what they're getting in exchange for that. Um, and I think providing that education and awareness is so critical because without the data, your ability to personalize is limited, you know. So that that's an important thing for uh, for. Us to think about, for brands to think about, for the industry to think about
0: to that point, is there anything happening in the industry to start to standardize messaging around how data is used or even down to the point of of um, you know sort of settings and preferences for the consumer? I'm thinking of like a nutrition label, but for for data uh, privacy related to to digital services It seems like that would be the kind of thing that that you know, regulation and that, that lawmakers could could enforce that I think would be universally helpful, but that probably the industry isn't going to offer up without some sort of... It, it would be difficult to coordinate unless it were um, sort of enforced by regulation, I think.
2: You're exactly right. So um, I believe two years ago now, there was a data nutrition label initiative that was being spearheaded by the IAB. Um, and it was great. I mean, it, it looked great. In terms of, of how scalable or or complete that is i think to your point all of that is still developing even on the ccpa front there there are industry frameworks emerging but you know amidst the the ambi- some of the ambiguities that still exist in the law adoption remains low uh, frankly some participants in the ecosystem don't even know if they if they need to think about this or in in terms of adoption right so um there there are definitely tools that are that are emerging and it's a space that we're involved in and discussing regularly and and I think that's the key is being engaged in those conversations these uh these tools and frameworks are are being produced by a lot of the industry groups so you know, through our participation, mm-hmm. we hope to shape them in a way that they're that they're actionable. the The other point I would raise is, you know, in the example of that that data transparency label, it's one thing to standardize and templatize the uh, the 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 aspect about the data like data provenance, where did it come from? how often is it reflect refreshed like things about the data quality the the bigger, Area that's emerging um, and is one of the key areas that that I'm focused on is once you get that data, making sure that that use of the data is appropriate and and uh, fair and and ethical from the consumer's perspective, right? And that evaluation is less uh, simple to streamline, right? There's a lot of um, if you think about it from from the perspective of uh, brand safety, different brands will have different suitability profiles. What's appropriate in one context or on one platform or at one t- point in time or for one brand might not be the same um, evaluation of that use case that another that another brand might come out with. And, and helping uh, kind of solidify what those principles are and how to think about using data responsibly is something that is a huge focus area for us.
0: Yeah, just circling back to that ambiguity point um, around the regulation, how do you see that resolving itself? Because it seems like the one challenge that we're running into, and I think this is true um, not just on the privacy front, but for for lots of regulation facing technology companies today that either that is, you know, in progress or that might happen in the near future is that lawmakers don't necessarily understand the nuances of what they're trying to regulate, um, which leads us to things like you know GDPR's unintended consequence of now every website has a cookie pop up that you have to click accept all cookies on uh, to be able to access the website, and I don't think that was the intention of those, um, you know that. Uh, that piece of the regulation, um, and yet uh, everyone, because it's a little ambiguous, here we are. How do you think we sort of solve those problems? Is this just a matter of sort of trial and error and and, and fixing things uh, after they're after they're already launched?
2: Yeah, it's interesting with CCPA. CCPA came into effect as I said earlier this year. Uh, there is already a ballot initiative uh, that is going to be on the California ballot in November to amend CCPA um now the interesting and and it's pretty significant um what, you know what the amendment would entail including you know creating uh an enforcement arm dedicated to privacy so so that's important for businesses to think about right if that comes into fruition which we we expect that it likely will based on the the what early polling is showing um having a dedicated enforcement arm has the ability to move some of these decisions uh and investigations The cadence of them would increase ostensibly, right? Um, But to your point, there are things like that. There are amendments like what's happening with CCPA. CCPA is an interesting one. You raise point that uh, some of these laws are being drafted uh, kind of myopically by people that are not necessarily aware of how the technology works. And I agree that's that's a that's certainly a challenge. And it's why the industry is continuing to push for that dialogue. So if we take that that example of the, the CPRA, which would have been the CCPA, um, that one actually is spearheaded by the same uh, person that originally spearheaded CCPA back when. Now, he's a real estate developer by trade and, and turned par- privacy advocate. He specifically was focused on Uh, the use of data in this context, in the advertising context. So um, with that said, he's consulted parties. Now, there's debate around, did he consult the right parties? How can we have a a balanced dialogue around (laughs) these things, right? So so the policy space is incredibly dynamic and incredibly complicated. I think some of it will get worked out through uh, success in having that cross- Stakeholder dialogue. To me, that is the right solution. The right solution is to have that industry um, and lawmaker dialogue with the context of what is consumer expectation and what do these changes mean for the individual and their their consumer experience, right? So I think that's the real way that things will happen. In in addition to that, you will see uh you know, lawsuits, class action lawsuits are starting to emerge as as a trend or have been emerging as a trend. Uh, And watching and analyzing um, those enforcement actions gives us insight into how the courts are interpreting the laws. Um, But Mm. ideally, what's needed is that that balanced dialogue to look at things from all perspectives.
1: To me, like it keeps coming back to this point of like, um, and I think we have it written down here, like there's there's gonna be like the privacy law, and then the, then there'll be like like responsibility. Cause I feel like, and Adam, this kind of plays to your point of right, like, you know, how do we balance, you know, maybe legislators that are gonna over legislate or under legislate and have these unintended consequences, like it seems like there needs to be a intersection between the the law of like here are, are like the universal basic standards of how data and privacy should be handled across advertising, maybe across consumer apps, you know, CRM systems, whatever it might be, and then as a brand, like, here is how we are going to handle your data. And that plays into essentially like your brand values, like your mission, your, your overall like proposition to a consumer, right? Cause it, it seems like today it's, it, it is so just un like, we don't know yet. And I think for like, if, if we look at brands, like the best way to get ahead of this is like, you know, regulate yourselves before the government regulates you? Because as we've seen in the past, whether that's with like alcohol or tobacco, um, you know, things don't go well when the government steps in and forces regulation, you know, broadly across an entire industry.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's that's a great point. And, and certainly there's an intersection between privacy and responsibility. So the way that I like to think about it is there's a spectrum. And on one side, there is complying with the letter of the law. And in the middle is uh, going a little bit above that and finding maybe the the most stringent protections and applying them beyond where you have to. And then on the other side of the spectrum is resp- responsibility and doing uh, doing uh, things not just because you can, but because they are the, the right thing to do, right? So that that kind of distinction between what you can do and what you ought to do. Is how I like to think about it, and the benefit of going beyond what you have to do and, and thinking uh, forward to what you ought to do is tremendous. I mean, it's it's a source of of strategic differentiation. If you look at companies like Apple that have really leaned into this, and that doesn't just apply to the tech industry that 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 applies to the in- industry at large and to brands at large across verticals, right? Taking a responsible approach is something that you see. Brands doing uh, proactively to build that consumer trust. Now, consumer trust might seem like a little bit of a of an academic topic, but when you think about the increasing importance of first party data, uh, given the changes that are happening with third party cookies and and those product changes, having that consumer trust and and to my point before about consumers' willingness to share. Um, their willingness to share is based on the trust they have in you and how trustworthy your brand is, right? So, um, it's it's an area of strategic differentiation. It's an area of, of uh, competitive differentiation, and it's an area that that really uh, will solidify your your media and data strategy.
1: This kind of ties it all together, what you said at the beginning. But is this kind of seems like what you mean as a business imperative, right? Privacy as a business imperative is that this essentially becomes a strategic pillar in a brand and their messaging and their product.
2: That's exactly right. There might be a misconception at first to think, hey, GDPR seems to be the most strict law out there. Let's just apply that everywhere. And there we go. That's responsible, right? And it's just not that simple for the reason you mentioned. So if if you're applying that everywhere and depending on how you operationalize, depending on how your cookie banner works and all that, are you sacrificing consumer experience? you know if you have these decisions made in a silo let's say you have a privacy team and the privacy team makes the decision on how this is going to work then you're you're going to miss implications for marketing you're going to miss implications for consumer experience you're go- you, so it really needs to be a holistic conversation um with responsibility at the core because responsibility itself matters to 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 each and every one of those disciplines right so uh, that holistic dialogue is something that that we're also trying to facilitate, um, you know, with our clients. We're having conversations with our clients um, to, to prime them on CCPA implications for media, then to pull in their website team and let their website team know about some of the options to operationalize this where actions required on their side. Then we're pulling in partners to those conversations and saying, how do you integrate with this? So, really the theme here (laughs) is collaboration, collaboration across disciplines within your own organization, collaboration across the industry. That's how you get to a a responsible digital ecosystem.
1: So speaking of what we're doing today, like, is there any other examples of how you're working with our clients or working with industry partners uh, or trying to make this holistic data strategy come to life like like like, like what are we doing today um from like a um perspective to make a more responsible uh environment from a privacy and data collection um angle
2: sure so um there's a ton (laughs) so um
1: from that's great we got plenty of time left so we can just (laughs) we can list them all
2: (laughs) so it started, um, and this really started last year in, in terms of our partner outreach, which really started to have everything take shape. But, you know, as as has become evident over the course of this conversation, this is an incredibly dynamic space. Things were changing day to day, and and they still are, even when we just talk about CCPA. So the first thing that we started to do is understand from our partners how they're approaching it. Um Then we started to understand how our clients are approaching CCPA. Uh, We we realized at some point along the way that, you know, we should have this uh, kind of education or primer on how CCPA impacts media be available to our clients, because I think it, you know, naturally you would assume that, that these conversations probably happen and they certainly do. They certainly do somewhere within the organization, but because they're direct impacts to media strategy, uh, we started having those conversations in, in, um, in a more specific way to how our client specific approach might impact their media campaigns. Right. Um, From there, we we, for example, create uh, little takeaway questions for them to go ask across departments internally on their side. Um, And then, you know, once once we have better alignment on what their approach is, we work with our partners and our clients. We work. uh, We've you know we've been talking to uh, some of the industry groups around the solutions that they're offering. So the IAB has their framework. The DAA has their framework. They're different. They're beneficial for different clients with different approaches, right? So um, we've been really sharing that thought leadership, and uh, it started with thought leadership, and now we're truly getting into the weeds of operationalizing that, you know? So clients have their, their own tools and things in place. We're helping them figure out how that integrates with with our ecosystem partners you know um and and then beyond that and i think this this is important you know we developed a uh privacy task force uh that that includes representation across all of media brands late last year it's with that group that we've been tackling those all of these issues. Uh, we we launched education. We launched a privacy practical series because you know it, it's not only about the dialogue externally. We needed to um, empower our teams to understand how all of this works. Right? It's not helpful if that knowledge sits in a vacuum. So having that that how does this impact what I do and really putting this in the lens of privacy is beyond a business imperative, something that everybody needs to understand the impacts of. Um, that's really what we've been doing thus far.
1: Well, that is, that is, that is super exciting. Um, and, I think there was a lot more going on uh at UM than I had originally uh no- known about. So I am excited <laughs> to have you on this this week's episode cuz I have personally learned a lot um about kind of how we're tackling this from uh, from the UM perspective. Um so with that um I know we are uh kind of getting short on time for this for this week's episode and so what are like, the few key takeaways that they should be thinking about as this becomes, again, more and more of a mainstream conversation?
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so the key takeaways start with, again, privacy is a business imperative. Um, it's, it's not something that should sit in a silo. And we're encouraging our clients to make sure that they're engaging in that dialogue at their company. Um, you know, the examples are tactical, but I'll give you one anyway. If you are relying on um, explicit consent for for the third-party cookies that are placed on your site right now, the volume of data that you have available is going to be different than if you're only relying on explicit consent in Europe. Um, not to say whether that's good or bad, but different approaches mean different Data availability, which means different media recommendations, right? So we need to be able to make the right recommendations for our clients, and um, for for clients, understanding how their organization is approaching privacy um, is is central, and then having that dialogue uh, back with their agency so that we can properly solution. Is something that's increasingly important. Um, so to summarize, point two then it's reconnect with your agency. We are here to help you navigate. We know this isn't a space that is a uh, is traditionally part of our media conversations, but now it is. And and the good news is, you know, we're engaged in this space. We're engaged in the industry dialogue around it. We can help solution um, in ways that are different than than we had needed to previously. Um, and uh, the the third is that you know I think there's a lot of uh, nervousness around how do we uh, comply or do the right thing when there are so many different I think right, as of last year there were 132 plus countries that had their own privacy laws um, all different and then within the U.S. there's that same patchwork emerging how are we supposed to do all of this so the the, the last takeaway is start at the basics, right? At their core, this is about knowing what data are you collecting? What data are you using? How are you using it? Who are you sending it to? How are they using it? If you go through that core kind of governance exercise and you have a good grasp on that, operationalizing um, the different requirements under different regimes is, is a lot simpler. It's a matter of implementing the right tools, systems, integrations. It's not this um, amorphous topic, right? So uh, data governance and, and building things with a responsible mindset from inception is core uh, to really being, being nimble and flexible enough in light of the uncertainty and the uh, ever-changing regulatory environment.
1: So with that, Arielle, thank you so much for coming on to this week's episode of Floor Nine, and giving us the primer on data privacy uh, and how the team here is really thinking about implementing uh, new practices uh, and audits and everything in between to make sure you know our marketers, our media teams, and our clients are are prepped for the ever-changing conversation of bringing uh, data privacy from the I don't know the the back rooms of what we what we used to call offices into the mainstream. Uh, so thank you very <laughs> much.
2: Thank you so much again for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks, thanks, Ariel.
1: And that is going to be a wrap on this week's episode of Floor Nine. As a reminder, uh, please go fill out that Floor Nine listener survey. We greatly appreciate it. It should only take about five minutes of your time. Thank you again to Brain.fm for sponsoring this year's Floor Nine listener survey. And as always, you can find myself on Twitter at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. And you can reach out to Adam on Twitter at Adam J. Simon. So thank you, and we'll talk to you all next week.